Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey, everybody, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that the fight that we're facing is not about right versus left, and it's not about Republicans versus Democrats. It's about democracy versus authoritarianism, and never, ever let anybody tell you different. The next 18 months will be the most crucial months in American political history since 1860. Think about that, gang. Now is the time to get involved. Go to jointheunion.us and sign up to be part of the pro-democracy army that will lead us to victory next year. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again coming to you all solo for another Q&A episode where we'll be answering questions that you Listeners and members of the Lincoln Project community have asked us. Rick, Stu, Joe, and myself, and everyone at the Lincoln Project love hearing from you. And as always, if you have a question, please do not hesitate to ask. Send all your questions to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And so with that, let's get into your questions. All right. Not surprising. Lots of questions about Tucker Carlson today. Rima Myers says, Fox's statement about Tucker Carlson says that Fox and Tucker agreed to part ways. But I just watched the end of what turned out to be his last show, and he ended with a plug for his documentary about eating bugs while eating pizza at the news desk with his guest. Well, I think that says a lot, Rima, just about his show. He also signed off with, quote, we'll see you on Monday. It sounds like he was fired. What actually happened? So, Rima, in the media and the political, maybe even in the corporate space, right, no one is ever, quote unquote, fired unless there's some, like, actual cause. There is actual cause here. But I would say this is that Tucker was fired. He was pushed out. Rupert Murdoch, according to the LA Times, decided he didn't want Tucker around anymore. This could have something to do with the Dominion voting settlement that they had. This could have something to do with this Fox News producer, the woman that worked for Tucker, who is suing the network. It could have something to do with the fact that, you know what, it's Rupert's sandbox. And maybe he had just decided that Tucker was too much of a headache to have around. I would also say, and we're going to have Claire Atkin from CheckMyAds.org on tomorrow as we're recording this to discuss, you know, maybe this is Rupert cleaning house before the 2024 election to somehow try and bring them back to some semblance of normalcy. And Rima, when I use normalcy, I put that in air quotes. So what actually happened? I think it was probably a combination of things, but we should not underestimate the fallout and the downstream effects of this. He was the most popular member of the Fox News nightside personality-driven political shows. You can already see on social media that many folks who consider themselves MAGA, not run-of-the-mill Republicans, but truly died-in-the-wool, make-America-great-again fans, are beside themselves. They said they're never watching Fox again. If he's not there, they're not there. And so I think that Murdoch and the people at Fox had to make a decision, which was, how much longer do we think we can deal with this guy? It turns out they met their limit sometime over the weekend, and now he's out. 
what that means for his replacement. I'm hearing it's somebody like a Jesse Waters, who is, you know, he's like a dumb version of Tucker Carlson. He's not bright. You can say a lot of things about Tucker Carlson, but he's not stupid. Jesse Waters is dumb. He's stupid. And he's a bad imposter, but he might, you know, be perfectly happy with that if he's going to get a promotion and a bump in salary and everything else. So what do I think happened? I think Rupert decided it was enough was enough. He's in charge and Tucker had to go. All right. Ed Newman asks, does the settlement of the Dominion voting lawsuit, Dan Bongino leaving, and now Tucker Carlson leaving, mean that Fox News may be scaling back its anti-democratic propaganda and return to something more along the lines of a traditional cable news network with center-right-leaning programming? So, Ed, this is a great question. First, on the Dan Bongino piece, guys, I know Dan Bongino. I actually did some work for Dan Bongino. Don't throw your phone across the room. It was 2014, and he was running for the U.S. Senate in Maryland, guys, as a moderate Republican, if you can imagine such a thing nowadays. Bongino was bad for the brand. He's not particularly entertaining. He's not particularly bright. And I think that so much of the stuff that he'd said and done across platforms, his own talk show, his own social media platform, Rumble, you know, they were just done with him. He was bad for their brand and he was a bad brand on his own. With Tucker, again, I think the idea is, yes, Ed, they want you to believe. Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch want you and me and otherwise normal human beings to believe that they are scaling back on the crazy. If they are, guys, they're playing possum, right? It's an act. They're doing it just so long as that they can try and keep their heads down and stay out of trouble long enough until they believe the dust is cleared and they can get back to their antics. Rupert does not want a Democrat in the White House. He is someone who has shown over the last four, five, six, seven years that he is perfectly willing to push any Democratic insanity if it's good for his bottom line. They are anti-democratic goons, every last one of them. None of them who sits in one of those studios believes that they are doing right by the American people. They all know what they're doing. They are cynical and they will do anything for ratings and money and power. And that starts with Rupert and it ends with someone like Tucker Carlson. Yes, they got rid of him. Whoever comes next will be just as bad, if not worse. But as I noted in Rima's question, probably dumber than Tucker was. Tucker was a smart guy, whether you like him or not, and I certainly don't like him. But they will try and make you believe that they want to be normal again. But we should not at all, guys, let our foot off the pedal when it comes to these people. Fox is a bad outfit. Rupert is a bad guy, and they will be back. All right. Chrissy Mancini on Instagram asks, what happened to the J6 tapes that McCarthy gave to Carlson now that Carlson has left Fox News? Well, Chrissy, this is first and foremost a brilliant question and one that we will ask on Twitter here as soon as I'm done recording. But it also speaks to the kind of person that Kevin McCarthy was, which is he really believed that he needed the support of someone like a Tucker Carlson because he's so weak within his own conference. He will do whatever it is he thinks he needs to to stay in charge, such as it is. But it's a great question and one that we will try and get you an answer for. All right, guys, let's move on a little bit. The debt ceiling. At moderate, please, on Twitter asks, do Republicans actually want something from the debt ceiling negotiations or is it just more chaos? Their budget was garbage and they know it will never happen. Your instincts are right on this, moderate, please. We have to remember that Kevin McCarthy is the least popular person in Washington, D.C. He's so unpopular that even a dog won't hang out with him. It's him and his gavel. 
every night in the speaker's office. He's just waiting for that moment when he can unveil his portrait in the speaker's lobby and call it a day and go make a bunch of money on corporate boards or whatever. But he's perfectly willing to take the country over the cliff in the meantime. There was a story in Puck last week about the fact that, as I noted, McCarthy has no control whatsoever over his own conference. The Taliban 20, as they're now calling themselves, the most ultra MAGA, don't want a deal of any kind. And I think this is a really important thing for all of us to remember. This is not about spending cuts. This is not about fiscal sanity. This is not about paying your debts. This for these Republicans and for this Republican House conference is an ideological fight. They are happy to send the government into default so long as they think they can blame Joe Biden for it and blame Democrats for it. They've been doing this for 50, 60 years, right? The Republican Party, guys, even when I was a part of it, was never the party of small government. It never has been. You know, I think that in Reagan's two terms, I think he shrunk the size of government 1% for one year. It's just not how we operate, gang. And as we've seen with Democrats and Republicans, Democrats were always accused of being tax and spend liberals. Republicans are in some ways far more irresponsible because they don't tax and spend conservatives. They're happy to run up the family credit card and leave somebody else with the mess. Remember that when Donald Trump was in office and Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, they passed three debt ceiling increases with no problem. And in fact, there's video of Donald Trump saying that you should never use the debt ceiling as a weapon. That's a bad idea. And remember, guys, we're in a high interest rate environment. That's really bad for average Americans. We should really never forget that, that if we go into default and the stock market takes a bath, it's going to hurt everyone's IRAs. It's going to hurt everyone's 401ks. Interest rates are going to make it harder for you to buy a house, to buy a car. It's going to make the price of everything go up. But we should not forget, again, Republicans are willing to do this because, guys, for them, yes, moderate, please. Chaos is a ladder, just as they said on Game of Thrones so many years ago. They believe that this is the way to go, and they're happy to watch the explosion and watch the wreckage rain down. All right. 2024. Let's move on to 2024. Nate Bissinger asks, who is the LP team rooting for in the GOP primary? Who do you want to go against Biden and the general? Well, Nate, this is sort of like when I watch the New York Giants play the Philadelphia Eagles. If both teams could lose, that would make me very happy. I don't know that we're necessarily rooting for anybody. We believe that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. And so far, not much of a primary matchup happening, not much of a primary shaping up so far. Nikki Haley has gotten in the race. Asa Hutchison, the former governor of Arkansas, has gotten in the race. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina is in the exploratory phase. Mike Pompeo, the former secretary of state, has said he's sitting it out. Larry Hogan, former governor of Maryland, said he's sitting it out. We're still waiting to see what Ron DeSantis does. Obviously, he makes the most noise. He gets the most attention. Mike Pence, the former vice president, is still out there. So I think others will get in. You know, there's some rumors that maybe now that Tucker Carlson doesn't have a job at Fox News, maybe he'll run for president. Never know. You know, look, if there's one thing I know, gang, is that if crazy can happen in American politics these days, it will happen. Who do we want to go against Biden and the general? We want the most beatable Republican Joe Biden can face. And I think this is one of the weird dichotomies of where we are today is that Donald Trump is both, I believe, the most dangerous and the most beatable general election candidate. He is incompetent. 
He is crazy. He will run a much better campaign, at least as of now, than he has in the past. But also, he has said and done so many things in the almost eight years since he came down the escalator that a lot of Americans to go back to Trump after 2020 or go back to Trump after 2016, after the four years of him in office, I think it's a very tough road for him. But we're a 50-50 country game. We shouldn't take anything for granted. But we're just rooting for a long, bloody Republican primary. All right. Becky Wilson asks, why is Ron DeSantis meeting with the prime minister of Japan if he's not, quote, a candidate? Well, Becky, this is one of those things that prospective presidential candidates do, which is he's governor of the state of Florida. Governors don't really have much foreign policy experience. So they start to do these things before they announce their run where, you know, this will be a trade mission or he'll go to Israel and visit Bibi Netanyahu, and he'll go to the Wailing Wall, and he'll go see the, you know, all of the ancient stuff from both the Old Testament and the New Testament to show himself as a international leader, that someone can imagine him standing on the international stage. The truth is, is that the bigger the stage gets for a guy like Ron DeSantis, the smaller he looks. He does not grow to meet the stage. People like Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, even Joe Biden, they grow to meet the stage they're on. Ron DeSantis does not. The more time he spends in front of the camera, the less people want to see of him. All right. Stephen Carr asks, the Democrats did well in the midterms despite the Republican Party winning the popular vote by nearly three points. What does this mean for Democrats in 2024? Stephen, this is a great question. What it says is a couple of things. One is that in the places where Republicans won, especially in, let's say, congressional seats, they won by a lot because they've so gerrymandered them. Think about it. In a presidential campaign, you know, they say, oh, Joe Biden won by 7 million votes. Okay. But 5 million of those were in, you know, California. A million of them were in Illinois. A million of them were in New York. So, you know, let's not take the popular vote in that context for everything that it could mean. What it means for Democrats in 2024, though, is that every vote is going to count again. This is the game of small numbers. Remember that you know, Donald Trump only lost by 150, 180,000 votes across the electoral college states that really matter. And so every single one of these votes is going to count. Democrat, independent, you know, Republican who's crossed over to vote for democracy. Every one of these things is going to count. Democrats will win the popular vote in 2024, again, just on the back of what it means. But I would say that they can take nothing for granted. We can take nothing for granted. And every vote that's available out there, we got to go find. All right, let's move on to a few mix and match questions here. Daphne Green says, I'm infuriated by everything that continues to come out about Clarence Thomas. This past weekend, I saw Dick Durbin, who's the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, on Meet the Press say that he didn't invite Clarence Thomas to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee because he thought the invitation would be ignored. WTF, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Daphne, I agree with you. You know, this is a sort of classic I don't know what'll happen if I do something, so I'm not going to do anything. It's sort of typical Washington, D.C., right? Even though the Supreme Court building stands across the street from the Capitol, it still seems to be surrounded by this force field. I 100% agree with you. You want Thomas to receive the invitation. And if you know he's not going to participate, you want him to ignore it. It proves further that he does not believe that he is accountable to anybody 
even the American people whom he is supposed to serve. I understand that it is enrobed in a very sort of unique position in American politics and in American life, but never has a, you know, a group of nine people had so much impact on 330 million other Americans. You know, Republicans in the old days, guys, used to say, we don't want activist judges, right? We don't want judges legislating from the bench. And that's what this court, this Roberts court does. They legislate from the bench regularly. And when they do so, they do it knowing that they are tearing the country in half culturally, legally, you know, from a decency perspective, racially, by gender, everything else. And so what I would say is this is, no, you invite Clarence Thomas to appear. And if he doesn't show, you say, it's a shame Justice Thomas didn't appear because he's got a lot to answer for. And again, the one thing that I always, always say to our Democratic friends, guys, is be not afraid. Now is not the time for fear. Now is the time for leadership. And I think we need some more of that out of Washington, D.C. All right. Bob Pavlovsky asks, I have a hypothetical question. If Donald Trump wound up winning the presidency again in 2024, and he was then convicted of crimes for which he was charged with while not president, would it again be, quote, hands off arresting and incarcerating a sitting president, even though his conviction came from an ongoing case that began before his presidency? Well, Bob, there's a lot there. Um, I would say that, yes, most likely it would be hands off for a couple of reasons. One, hard to believe that any case will be adjudicated against him before the end of the 2024 campaign. That's just my personal opinion as a jailhouse lawyer and nothing more. But secondly, you know, the district attorney of Manhattan, the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia, would probably say, you know what, like, there's no legal precedent for us doing this. And is there jail time involved anyway? The Justice Department would once again belong to Donald Trump. And I use the word belong intentionally because he sees it as his personal law firm. So, no, I would not get your hopes up. I think that if he wins again, any chance of him being brought to justice would be, let's just say, off the table. I just don't buy it. I'd love to believe that somehow he's going to end up in an orange jumpsuit one day. I just don't see it. If he lost again, I could see that, you know, those various prosecutorial offices would proceed with their cases. But the one thing I should say, guys, is I think that no one should get their hopes up that Donald Trump, even if convicted, is ever going to spend a day in jail. He is a former president of the United States. He is a federal protectee. And so I would venture to say that one of two things will probably happen. Either he will be a house arrest guy at Mar-a-Lago for the rest of his life, or he'll run off to Riyadh or Dubai or Moscow or someplace where he's beyond prosecution. But I wouldn't get my hopes up about that. So guys, listen, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. We've got a couple of exciting episodes coming up this week. I hope you'll continue to tune in and download and share the podcast with your friends and family. You all are incredible. Your dedication to this program and to this cause is second to none. I cannot say thank you more. But guys, again, this is going to be a different fight. As I've said before, 2016 was a different fight. 2020 was a different fight. 2024 is going to be the toughest yet. This is for all the marbles. American democracy is on the line. You hear me say it over and over again. You might be sick of it. But here's what we also know, right? That Donald Trump, MAGA, all of his supporters, guys, they see this as an existential fight. And we need to also. They will do whatever it is they think they have to to be victorious next November. And we have to do everything we can to make sure that on the first Tuesday in November of 2024, that Donald Trump and all his goons go down to a crushing defeat and that we can wake up on Wednesday, dust ourselves off and say, job well done, and start to look forward to a new, 
brighter future. But I know this, guys. This team, you, me, and everyone listening, we are on the side of right. We are on the side of justice. We are on the side of morality and decency and democracy. And we are on the side of making sure this country is everything it can and should be for not only ourselves, but also for our kids and the future. I will talk to you all next time. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen and on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. I've got some fun videos up now. I hope you'll take a look and follow me. Otherwise, guys, see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.